for the peace that we need this holiday season. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever noticed, I don't know if it's ever seemed this way to you, but the holiday season can simultaneously bring out the best of you and the worst of you. Because in particular, when it comes around the holidays, it's this loving, giving, celebratory season filled with generosity of spirit. But then at the exact same time, it can be extremely stressful. A ton of tension and a lot of anxiety. And let's not overlook the pain and grief that many of us experience around the holiday season. The American Psychiatric Association, they did a study a couple of years ago that showed that around the Christmas season, 41% of individuals that were surveyed said their stress increased around Christmas. And for those that struggled with any type of mental illness, anxiety, depression, that number actually rose to 64%. Basically, their study was anytime Christmas comes rolling around, people actually feel worse. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Listen, anytime you and I are under pressure or strain, what is on the inside eventually comes out. It rises to the surface. Even fun moments can become stressful or frustrating if we're not careful. I was thinking thinking back about 10 years ago when we lived in central Arkansas. There was a Christmas that we were setting up with our kids and Lauren and I started to get into an argument about something totally ridiculous, something silly. I can't even remember what it was. And, and we had this whole day planned out, you know, decorating the tree. Kids are little, and we're arguing the whole time. It's not even fun anymore. And uh, at the very beginning, though, when we were starting the whole decorating process, we said, hey, what we need to do is we need to capture a picture and post it on Instagram, because if we don't post it on Instagram, it didn't happen. So we needed to make sure we documented it. And, and so we're mad, though. We're like, well, this isn't even fun. How could we possibly post it? So we faked it. Like we, we did a selfie, we smiled, we posted the picture on Instagram and no one would have known that three minutes before we took that picture, it was the nightmare before Christmas. No one would have known it, but we're arguing and fighting. And to be truthful with you, I think sometimes that's how many of us, we walk through this holiday season. It's like, I'm gonna fake a smile. I'm gonna just get through December, get through the holidays, but if we're being truthful with ourselves, we're very much unsettled on the inside. It's part of the reason why Jesus came. It's in the story that we just read in Isaiah where it says he's our Prince of Peace. Everybody say Prince of Peace. The background of this passage in Isaiah, you could go back and read it in Isaiah chapter 7. There is a ton of political unrest social despair, hopelessness. There was a a cultural darkness that had overtaken the people and the nation. And King Ahaz at the time, he was seeing a political alliance that was being formed and he was scared about what was going to take place with him and his people. And in Isaiah chapter 7, the Lord actually tells him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart. King Ahaz doesn't obey the Lord. He actually disobeyed the Lord and lost everything. But the king did what many of us can do at times in these difficult or stressful situations. He took his eyes off the Lord. He didn't obey what he was told to do. And he let worry take the place of peace in his life. 
And I think if we're just honest with ourselves here for a minute, it is tempting to exchange our peace for worry. Because it seems as if all of us are wired to worry. Guaranteed, you have worried about something at some point in your life. And there have been countless studies, I'm fascinated by this, of psychologists that have studied the reason why we worry and the impact of what happens to us when all we dwell are on things that we worry about. Like, What's the end result of all of this worrying that we do? So they studied a group of people and walked through life with them. And here's what they found out over many, many years. 85% of what these people in this study were worrying about never came to pass. That's a pretty high percentage. Okay, for the 15% of the things that they were worrying about that actually happened, what the study showed is the people ended up being able to navigate it and deal with it way better than they initially thought. So the worry wasn't nearly as overwhelming to them as they anticipated. And it ended up being some that they said at the end of this study, they actually learned from it and grew from it and actually became stronger because of it. Here's the reality. Jesus knew that we would be prone to worry. He wasn't naive. In fact, he shared in this parable in Luke chapter 12 when he was speaking directly to his disciples those that he was walking with day after day after day, he actually tells them in this parable, do not worry. Look at this in Luke chapter 12 in verse 22. It says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. I love the way Jesus approaches this topic with his disciples. In the first four verses of what we read, here are the three statements that Jesus makes. Take a look at this if you're taking notes. Here are the statements. Do not worry. What can worry add to your life? And then the question, why do you worry? So let's break this down. Jesus says, do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. The root word for worry in this particular passage of scripture means to be divided. It means that when we worry, we're going to be pulled in different directions and it's going to feel like we don't really know where we're going because worry has the potential to very easily divide your thoughts, steal your focus on where you're going. It can actually cause panic, irrational behavior, and and irrational responses in your life. I think Jesus wants us to know, and he gets it, 
that we're going to be prone to worrying in this life, but he's also leading us towards the remedy. So in light of this parable, right before this passage about worry, Jesus is talking about the rich fool, and he says this in Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So he's speaking to the crowd and he's telling them, hey, you're not going to want to put your faith in temporary things. You might be tempted to do it, but don't do it. And then his language shifts when he starts talking about worry. He says, therefore, which means in light of what I just taught you, in light of what you just heard, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Jesus was saying, be careful of greed in your life. Be careful of your stuff. uh, That what you possess is never actually going to satisfy you or bring you peace. And almost in the same breath, he says, don't worry. Well, why does he say that? Because the root cause of greed and worry comes from the exact same place. A failure to trust God. In fact, you could say it this way. Our worries reveal the object of our worship. I mean, if we really looked at and evaluated our life, here's the truth. We actually may put more faith in the stock market than we'd like to admit. We may put more faith in our politicians than we'd like to admit. We may put our trust in having control over things in our life that are simply uncontrollable. And you may not even recognize that these things exist in your heart until the tension and the pressure of a season or a circumstance causes them to rise to the surface. Because you and I are always going to have the pressure or we're going to always feel the temptation to worry about something, but that does not mean it deserves space in your heart or in your soul. So worry is not a financial issue. It's not a political issue. It's not a health issue. It's not a security issue. Worry is a trust issue. Worry is basically saying, God, I do not trust you in this area of my life. I refuse to acknowledge what you say about the situation. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to try to figure it out on my own, as if Christ was caught off guard. So then Jesus goes on to ask, what can worry add to your life? In verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Do you know someone in your personal sphere of influence or in your family that they are just always wound way too tight? If you're sitting next to the person, don't raise your hand in church, okay? That's a mistake. But there are some of us we know, man, prone to worry or you know a worrier. And it can sometimes feel a little overwhelming if that's your rhythm and your cadence. And you know, I've never talked to somebody that's perpetually bound with worry, that looks refreshed, that looks full of energy. Like, man, what have you been doing? I've just been worrying about everything in my life. I've got so much peace in my life and I love indigestion. I just, I don't like sleeping at night. I just, worrying is doing my life really, really good. If worry can't, add anything to your life, then it only has the power to subtract. Worry only has the ability to steal or diminish the life that we have left. And if we're consistently allowing the enemy to let us live in worry, then 
It's allowing the enemy to steal our peace, our joy, and really God's promises for our lives. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, I know this is easier said than done. I know that worry and stresses of life, it's a battle. This is not something that is just this casual, I get it. Some, some of us, we're walking through some weighty situations or seasons. But this statement, do not be anxious about anything, literally means in nothing in your life, be anxious. A more specific translation is, don't let your thoughts take away your strength. Because your thought life, it actually creates a roadmap that you end up traveling upon. So here's a question to consider. Where are your thoughts taking you? Closer to the peace of God or further away into this trap of worry? There's something that I researched uh, earlier this week. It's called the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Model, which... um, I don't know why I traveled down a wormhole. I was trying to understand very much how our thought life and what we meditate on and what we dwell on, how it actually creates the life that we're living. In the sense, how I mean this is I'm going to break it down. This particular model talks about how if you walk through an experience, an event in your life, it actually creates a thought and that thought then creates a feeling that feeling then creates a behavior and that behavior creates a consequence, good or bad. And so it's a cycle that we go through emotionally and what this study proved is that depending upon the events that you've experienced and how you think about or dwell on them, it can actually activate the safe or unsafe part of your brain. So let me give you an example Uh, this may help make it make sense. Let's say that you grew up in a home where growing up when you were younger, you always saw your family struggle financially. That's the event that you saw growing up. This could have created a thought, we don't have enough money, which creates a feeling of insecurity. We're never gonna have enough of what we need, which creates a behavior of, I'm going to put all of my trust and my security in my earthly possessions and what I earn because I do not want to experience what I walked through when I was younger. So you could see very easily how the consequences of that thought process can actually lead you to a place where you don't end up trusting the Lord in that particular area of your life. And when it comes to your thinking and the narrative that we're allowing to play over and over and over in our thought life, there is always a choice. In fact, Romans 12, 2, it tells us to renew our mind, to not conform to the pattern of this world, but when we're renewing our mind, it means to change the way we're thinking about this particular circumstance or this particular event. And it's saying, you may not be actually thinking about this area of your life in a healthy biblical way, So whatever it is that you're dwelling on, you're to take that and you're to compare it to what the word of God says about it. And if your thoughts and if what you're processing needs to change, 
you start to agree with what the Word says rather than what the event or the circumstances in your life actually presented to you at the time. So just as an example, what do I do when I'm filled with worry about my life? John 16, says, I've told you these things that you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Money, Luke 12, 24, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. What about politics? Daniel 2, 21, he controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. And what about our children? Philippians 1, 6, and so I'm sure confident that God who began this good work in you will carry it on until it is finished on the day of Christ Jesus. So then Jesus asks the final question. Why do you worry? In verse 26. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? I think at times it could be that we just forget who is with us. We forget that the Lord has been by our side the entire time. No matter what it is that we may be worrying or losing sleep over, the Lord is with us. This is absolutely what happened with King Ahaz in Isaiah that I mentioned earlier. He lost his peace right before the battle. The Lord was trying to encourage this king to keep your eyes on me, trust me, I'm your peace, I'm going to sustain you. And instead of placing his trust in the Lord, he lost his peace right in the midst of the battle. And what I tend to see around the holiday season every year is that it can feel like a battle for our peace is on the horizon. I have a friend that he tells me every Christmas season the emotions that he experiences right around Thanksgiving all the way through Christmas based on things that he's experienced and endured over the years. And here's what can tend to happen with our behavior. If we don't address these things in our life, if we don't look at our life honestly and say, Lord, I am worried about these things. I'm not experiencing peace. What we can tend to do is we we tend to overspend, overeat, and overindulge. Because if we don't experience the peace that only Jesus gives, we're going to try to fill that space with something else. And it's temporary. It's basically like we're trying to medicate it. But that's not really the issue that we've got to deal with. Nothing wrong with chilling out on your Christmas break. Nothing wrong with eating some good food and relaxing, Christmas movies and and spending time with your family. It's when we're trying to escape the very thing we need peace with where it can become out of balance. And I believe the hope for Christmas is that we would become overwhelmed and overjoyed with a peace that only Jesus can bring. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So what's the remedy? Verse 31, Jesus talks about it. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, if you'll just take care of my things, I'm going to take care of yours. 
It's this process of moving from fear to faith. And if you're asking, okay, well, what do I do when I'm, when I'm worried, when I'm just overwhelmed with what I'm walking through in my life? And it is an opportunity on a daily basis to take that to the cross, to take that directly to Jesus, to take it to the Prince of Peace. Psalm 56.3 says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. The Bible shows us how to handle our worry. Scripture never says that we won't deal with worry. It just instructs us what to do when we worry. It gives us encouragement to cast our cares on the Lord, which that word cast simply means to drop it. It means, I want you to stop carrying that. You you can't handle it anyways. So whatever it is that you're worrying about, whatever it is that you're losing sleep over, whatever it is that's causing you unrest in your life, Jesus is saying, would you just drop it before me? Because I'm the only one that's going to be able to carry this burden. And if we're carrying it and it's in our hands, then it can never be placed in his. And just when it appears that all hope is lost, Isaiah 9 brings about a prophetic promise about this hope of a Savior that's going to redeem and restore his people. And despite what you might see around your life or what you see around in our nation, the promise of Christ around the Christmas season is that light is coming, that there is hope on the way, no matter what it is that we're facing. One last time, Isaiah 9, 6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince in the Hebrew means the one who rules. Peace simply means rest. So if you're wondering, who is Jesus to me specifically in this Christmas season? Jesus is the one who rules your rest. You know, things are changing even in our life around Christmas this year. My my grandmother, who was going to be 98 years old in February, she passed away over the summer. And it was always our tradition every year. Since I've been a kid, we've gone over Grandma Zorn's house every Christmas Eve. It is something that I've looked forward to. All of my mom's side of the family comes into town and we all celebrate it's, it's a blast. Well, when grandma died earlier this year, my mom sat me down and, and, and the rest of the family said, hey, we know things are changing this year. None of us are coming home for Christmas. And grandma's house was sold just a couple months ago. And for maybe the first time in a while, I was really experiencing a sense of grief headed into the holidays. Like, man, I'm so, I love Christmas. My wife will tell you, like, I, I want to cut the tree down in August. I'm ready. I'm re- I love celebrating. I love, I love putting up the train. I love s- cookies. I love the movies. I love it all. I love the story about Christ. But I could sense that I was just feeling a little bit of sadness because things are changing. A tradition is ending. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what, what this year is going to look like, really. And so I could totally... I don't want to say totally. I can relate to some that are in this room that it's hard for you around the holidays because things have changed over the years. People have passed or there have been moments where sadness has entered into the Christmas conversation and season. 
And if I can encourage you, if that's where you're at today, if Christmas is hard for you, a great starting point before we get to Christmas is to recognize Advent that begins today. Advent is this journey where we are remembering and reflecting who Jesus is. We are anticipating his coming to this earth. It's a, it's a, it's a process from now until Christmas Day where we are celebrating this longing that people had for many, many years about a Savior that would come and rescue them from their sins and deliver them. And sometimes I think in the midst of a broken world or, or broken and fractured family dynamics, this longing, this peace that we're searching for, it starts with recognizing who rules your peace during this holiday season. So my encouragement would be find a great devotional. There are plenty available on a Bible app something online where you could walk through a daily reading that just helps us to recognize and stand in remembrance of who Jesus is this Christmas season and how he is our Prince of Peace. Christ as our peace means that he's the one who rules your rest. It means choosing to trust him rather than worry about every circumstance and situation that you try to hold on to. It's resting over wrestling. And if worry is a trust issue, then peace is a faith issue. It's saying, Lord, I I am choosing to trust you. I am choosing to believe that you're going to be my peace this Christmas season. And my encouragement would just be as as we start this month, that no matter what's ahead of us, let's choose to allow Christ to rule in our hearts, and to rule in our homes.